You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. As some of you may know, we were in Panama, and uh, it was great to be there. We had our delegates meeting. This is an international meeting of all the delegates around the world. Um, you know, really to just make some decisions that we've been working on, or that mostly the men have been working on, with input from the women. Amen. I appreciate that we have a church where the women's voice is heard. Uh, but our delegates meeting uh, called Faith Forward. And there are some decisions made there that, like I said, were... Um, in the plannings and the workings for about a year and a half. So as the, over the next couple of weeks, we'll share more about that. But we were there for what was the delegates meeting and then also the International Leadership Conference. And those were leaders from all over the world as well. And then we stayed uh, a few more days for what was the Central American Conference. And Steve uh, taught a class there. It was awesome to see uh, him being translated uh, and, and some of the slang, it was very entertaining. Uh, with him and and Ralph Ralph Lua, uh, it was it was a great class. But yes, engaged. He engaged on that level. He did. I'm always engaged. He engaged brother. on many levels. Just he engaged on a Spanish bilingual level. So you guys would have been very proud of him. I did have the opportunity to share at the um, at the ILC uh, meeting. Well, it was a class I shared with one of our sisters. Roleo from um, Lagos, Nigeria, which was really awesome. And uh, we had a, a, she's such an amazing woman, uh, amazing woman of God. And it was great to share a class with her, but I only had to speak in English and I didn't have to be translated, so that was pretty awesome. But anyway, so we stayed for the Central American Conference and we tried to share quite a bit on social media, um, but obviously we didn't catch it all. And so, like I said, we will be sharing over the next couple of weeks about the conferences and what we learned and also just kind of inform you as to what some of the decisions that have been made for the church global, which, amen, we feel like God was really with us uh, and God was really with uh, the team of guys. I appreciate Steve who helped work on the structure uh, task force team. Uh, that came up with the structure for the whole LA church movement and our unity going forward, which I super appreciate. But right now we have a very special treat. And for the leadership team, tonight you will have an even deeper and more special time with Jesse and Mofid. But um, at this time, we're going to get the opportunity to hear from our dear brother and sister from the Middle East. And their faith has, just inspires me. Every time we see each other, I feel like we haven't missed a beat. I feel like we pick it up like that. And um, I just appreciate their faith and their boldness and just their boldness to, to even, you know, challenge us in a loving way is to, hey, we need you guys, to, because it's legal here, we need you to converse in Muslims. So we got to figure that out, church. Um, we don't have it figured out, but God willing, we will figure it out. But hopefully you'll be inspired to hear from Jesse and Wafid today. Amen. I wanted to uh, share a scripture that kind of encompassed the, um, the week for me, uh, both the Faith Forward, the ILC, as well as the uh, CAC, the uh, Conference of Central America. And it's in chapter 133 of Psalms, which reads, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And sisters. Amen. I mean, I've, that's just kind of the gender thing in here. But it was so incredibly amazing to be together with brothers and sisters from around the world and just to see the level of cohesiveness that was involved in really wanting to take the kingdom to another level for God. 
Uh, it was amazing. It's been about a, well, for me, it's been about a two-year journey, but it's amazing to see how people were able to put aside their personal preferences, but working together collaboratively, really striving to glorify Christ through the whole thing. And uh, there is a link. That they just posted some of the information coming off the conference. I'll send that out on CCB. For those of you that want the minutia, it'll be there for you. For those that don't, you can kind of give it a cursory glance and you know, well, well, actually, when we meet together for our midweeks, everybody together, I'll break down the things that are more significant as to what that looks like. In a lot of ways, the, the job has just begun uh, in light of what we're coming away with. So please be praying uh, as we move forward. It's definitely significant. But the bigger thing for me is the couple that's standing behind me here with Mofit and Jesse, what they represent for me personally, and hopefully we'll all be able to take something away from it. But the degree of sacrifice, the degree of conviction, integrity, but more than anything, their love for God and their willingness to do, go, give up everything for God. And uh, we'll be hearing about that in a little bit more detail today. But they really, for me personally, when I look to the Middle East and the challenges that we see in the news on a weekly basis, I love the fact, and it's so convicting for me to see the stance that they take, the willingness that they have to just really do whatever it takes for the communities there at large, and as well as just taking care of their flock in very, very challenging situations. But for me personally, they're modern-day heroes in the faith. Hopefully you'll be able to embrace some of that as they speak today. And if nothing else, we come away with a much deeper conviction about making sure that we keep them in our prayers on a daily basis. And I know they're very, very grateful for what we've done through the years when it comes to our uh, missions contributions for both Mexico and Central America and the Middle East. Right now, uh, I'd like to have us bow our heads in a word of prayer, and I'll turn things over to my feet here. Oh, Father, you are an amazing God. And just looking at how chaotic and messed up this world is today, uh, it was so incredibly inspiring coming together in Panama with brothers and sisters literally from around the world and being able to spend that time praying to you uh, time looking at the scriptures, hearing messages preached, all of them pointing to you and the sacrifice that you so willingly did for us 2,000 years ago as you sent your son to die for us. And I think in those situations, it's, it's so much clearer when we look to the likes of Africa, uh, the Sudan, the Middle East, Yemen, these areas that are just so war-stricken to see men and women willing to take a stand for you. It's so reminiscent of what took place in the first century. And Father, just knowing that even our own country, we need to deepen our own convictions because nothing is guaranteed. The freedom that we have is not something that's written in stone or promised to us as we move forward with just the craziness that we call earth, knowing that this is Satan's realm. So Father, uh, just be with us today. Help us to uh, walk away with renewed hearts as we step back into the workplace, bringing a light to this dark world. Uh, I love you so much. Pray that you're with Jesse and Mofid in a special way as they bring to us your word, as well as their vision and the message that they bring to us from the Middle East. Father, we love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's okay. I'm used to technical failures. Good morning, church. Morning. It's good to be with you again. My name is Mufid, and my lovely wife, Jessie, and we actually serve the church in Beirut, Lebanon. 
and together we help serve the region of the Middle East churches, the Arabic speaking churches. Um, it's an honor to be with you, uh, being back again, seeing some faces that we know. It's so encouraging to be among the family and to see the kingdom all over the world, like we feel like family. Uh, like Steve said, uh, you have been for many years supporting, praying, and giving. And, and for us, it's souls saved. It's broken marriages coming back, broken families coming back. Uh, I know we, you don't see us a lot. Uh, I know some of you on social media, you see our news. So to what I will be doing today, I will be sharing a small report about the Middle East region. Uh, and then I'm going to show a small video about the youth ministries out there. Uh, and then I will be sharing the word of God with you. So uh, let's go and start here. Okay. All right. So this one shows. Okay, this is the, uh, this is the Middle East region. Um, this is the countries in uh, North Africa and in the Gulf and in the Middle East. We have 20 countries, Arabic-speaking countries. We have 19 churches in 12 countries and 709 disciples in that region. This was our uh, last year Middle East Arabic speaking churches conference. I always say Arabic speaking because we have many churches in the Gulf that speaks English, not Arabic. And I will explain why. So this was the, uh, the Middle East conference last year in Egypt, which included the teens, the campus, and the marriage, and everybody. It was really encouraging in a very tough time and situation in Egypt. It was really dangerous to have it, but we had it, and it was so encouraging. So just wanted to share some faces with you. Uh, this is my lovely capital or city, Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, sharing a bit about, uh, actually I did this report in Panama about our delegates and about the full-time couples. We have three full-time full couples for all the Middle East churches and this has been really a challenge for us to be able to have more full-time couples, especially the young generation, the second generation who are really having a heart for the ministry and prepared, but it's always a challenge to be able to get somebody in the ministry and plant more churches out there. Uh, this is a picture from Jordan. This is uh, actually uh, Petra. Some inspirational stories. It's amazing that uh, it's so challenging in our region to be able to have locals convert locals, or actually locals become disciples. Because when I say locals, I say from their different religions, and there's so many different religions out there, and the majority are Muslims out there. And, and, and for us to be able to have churches of Christ, that we have, this, we have baptized locals and trained them to convert locals, we have actually two churches now in the Middle East. We have one in Yemen, that locals are actually converting locals. It took time to have this church. We will be studying the Bible uh, uh, on, on, on Facebook, on, on FaceTime with people, and then fly them to Lebanon, which is a free country, to, uh, uh, and it's not against the law to baptize them, and then train them how to make disciples and send them back. We've been doing this for five years. Now we have 38 disciples in Yemen. We also have a... We also have a church in, uh, in North Syria, and this church actually started in the, uh, in the mid of the civil war out there and the ISIS war, and, uh, and, and we had it registered as the Kurdish Church of Christ. Some of you have heard this news before, but we have a Kurdish, you know, the Kurdish nation lately, they have been in, in war with ISIS. 
but they are both Muslims, but they have been in war together. But this brought them to say, you know what, we don't want to be Muslims anymore, we want to be Christians. So we have 40 million Kurdish, they have no country, they are spread among countries, no country for them. Now they are all calling back to be Christians. We have a small church in a, in a, in a city in North Syria, which is a Kurdish church led by a Kurdish couple. And, and, and it's, been, it's been hard for them. The last six months, actually, their city was overtaken by ISIS and the disciples are scattered now. But the, the leading couple, uh, uh, they were actually uh, saved by, you know, by God and they actually, they were able to to uh, move to another city and now they are starting the church again it's really tough I cannot explain the details but it's really it's really hard but please be praying for these two local churches and the rest of the churches lately what we've been having uh, uh, we're, we're being having a lot of restorations that have left the church since the 2003 crisis in our region and just the challenges that's been going on so it was, it's been so inspiring to see disciples that have left 10 years ago 15 years ago eight years ago coming back to church and sometimes you know it's so encouraging to see a restoration sometimes it's even more encouraging than a new baptism just to see that they have went out there and so that there is no hope out there uh, actually also we've been having a lot of inspiring teens and campus becoming disciples this is Dubai. We have, uh, we have disciples there in Dubai. What are our challenges? You know, all the countries except Lebanon are Muslim countries, which I mean it's against the law to share your faith. You go to jail, except Lebanon. And, and it's a small country, Lebanon, comparing to the 400 million Arabs we have out there. Um, against the law to share your faith, I said that, and limitation and persecution, and this is, have been really, really tough because we are actually in a region that the majority is, uh, is Muslim and it's against the law to share your faith and the minority are fanatic Christians, that they want to protect themselves. They are, they, so we are in there persecuted by both. We're in there, you can't share your faith with this one, and if you share your faith with them, they get so offended like they're, they are the original Eastern Christians, you know. So it's, it's so hard, it's so tough to, to be able to have these backgrounds and religions, and for thousands of years, and you come and tell them, you know what, I think you're not saved, let me share with you the, the Word of God. It's so hard to be able to, uh, to convert them. And especially you are in a, in a, in a region where, where we are raised in a way not to trust. It's so hard for us to trust. We are raised in a way that, you know what, uh, uh, you cannot be honest. You shouldn't be honest. You can't be real. So for you to be able to go to the heart of people and really share with them the Word of God and have them to, to be real and to be open and to, and to trust, it's so hard. That's why the majority of the conversions in the Middle East is families, are families, because, you know, you get one, fa one family member and then all the family comes because they can trust the family member. And it's really, it's really challenging. This picture is from Sudan. Uh, I talked about the Christian minority, uh, the fanatic religion background, and you know, I call it the region of wars. Even if you go back from the time of Jesus, even if you go back before Jesus. I don't know why this region, which was the origin of the Christianity, which is all started there, I don't know why it's always in war. It's always in war, these religions. So we call it the region of wars, and it's so tough to be able to, to imagine you're living there and you can't plan for next month. <laughs> you don't know what's coming. You know, it's, now, now, actually, we have about four countries in the Middle East are in civil war. You know, so it's, it's really hard. It's really tough. And, and the weaknesses we have, 
is we have 11 churches in the Gulf that are English-speaking churches. The majority of them are from India, from the Philippines. This is great to have them there, but you know what? They will not convert the locals because they speak English. So our challenge now is to plant churches in the Gulf that speaks Arabic. And planting churches and having more young couples in the ministry, this being a, a, a very challenging, uh, the sad thing, it all goes back to finances. And you know what? We want to learn how to use the finances in a way that we can make disciples because you can easily use it to make sin, you know? So we really want to do that. And this is our prayer. And this is where you guys and the continuous support that we have from this church, from different churches in LA is to be able to plant more churches and to see more souls saved. Another weakness, and this is a bit weird, you know when you're living in a region that there's no hope, there's no safety, there's always war, you can't plan even one year ahead, you just want any visa to leave. You just want any country to leave. And it's so hard to just come to a, to, a, to a father and tell him, you know, just stay, don't worry, let's have a dream for the region, let's have a dream for your people. And, and you know, what safety can you give him? And it's so hard just to get the faith there and the challenging to be able to like find a job or find a visa and leave, to have a heart for the region. So, you know, you, you are challenged by, by different religions, you are challenged by Christian uh, uh, fanatic religious people are out you, and you're challenged to keep disciples have a heart for the region. So this is where we're at and, and it's really hard. We definitely need your prayers uh, and, and, and because as I said, it all started there, and I really want to encourage you, church, you are supporting a region where Christ came from and started it there. You're supporting a region that if we can overcome Satan's work there, it's going to change, change the world. I'm going to be sharing a video with you, actually, and I want to uh, uh, definitely encourage the youth. Last two months ago, this summer, we had 20 campus disciples from the Inland Empire Church of Christ. They went for a one one month challenge to the Middle East. They stayed two weeks in Jordan, two weeks in Lebanon, and their purpose and their direction was to be in the campus and youth conference that we do every year, which we're doing next July, and, and actually to encourage the young is to relate. For us, you know, when you have small churches and you see disciples from all over the world, one disciple that goes from here can make a difference. One disciple can change. So we had 20. This is a small video for a camp they had together with the Middle Eastern disciples. Just watch. You know, uh, I will encourage you to get in touch with some of these disciples that, that went and just uh, let them share their, their story, let them share their experience. And I encourage the youth, the young, the campus, the teens, uh, last week of July, next year, we're, we're going to have the Middle East Conference, and especially the teens and the youth. It's going to make a big difference. It's going to encourage the souls of these disciples out there. So I hope this is give you a brief uh, uh, introduction and some details and information and, and I would love to share more with you on a person. Um, looking here, finding your fire for God and you know there is a, there's a verse in the Bible for me it keeps me, in, uh, it keeps me on fire out there in the Middle East when you look around you and everything around you is discouraging. Everything around you is, is hard, it's tough, it's dangerous. And, and you know, when we look at Jeremiah, and he goes, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his words is in my heart like a fire. 
a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. You know, imagine Jeremiah saying these words. Can you imagine him? I like to imagine the, the verses like when people are saying it. I like to imagine how they are actually uh, body language sharing it, how they are feeling. You know, imagine Jeremiah. This verse is, for me, is one of the most encouraging verses in my life. I, I, I always remember it. You know, I don't know if you felt what Jeremiah felt. I don't know if you really feel a fire in you that you cannot hold it. Have you felt this way? Have you felt sometimes this way? You remember that first day you became a disciple and you're out of the water and you're in fire. You know, it's, it's, for me, it's so hard sometimes to relate because maybe I can relate to the feeling of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah going around sharing his faith, going around trying to convert people for God, going around and trying to just share about his amazing God. And you know what? No one is listening. No one cares. No one is responding. He gets to a point like, you know what? I don't want to share anymore. I don't want to speak anymore. I'm fed up. No one is listening. And he convinced himself about that. And then he said, I, there's something in there is burning. There's fire in me. I cannot stop it. It's so hard. And you know what? I come from that, from that situation where I was born in 1970. My country started civil war in 72 to 82. My area or my country was occupied from 82 to, nine, to 2000, living under occupation. 2005, our prime minister was, was killed and he just destroyed the country. 2006, another war. All the city or all the cities was destroyed. 2011, ISIS taking over all the area. And it, my country is so small, it takes ISIS one day to just take over the country. 2013, we had an accident and lost our evangelist, Maher, that leads the region out there, my best friend, my discipler, who was, we were in a retreat and we lost him. 2017, me and my wife, attending a conference in Egypt in the summer, exactly this conference you just saw, and we felt like the church needs help there. We need to move to Egypt. And you know, you can look at the Middle East as Middle East, but the countries are so different. So when I tell you, you decide to move from Lebanon to Jordan or to Egypt, I don't know how it looks like here moving from where to where, maybe from here, this region, to maybe a very tough country out there, to Persia, brother. <laughs> and we were sitting there and praying about it. And I have two children. My son is 16. My daughter is 13. And then we need to decide. You know, we need to, we need to decide. We have a church in Lebanon. We have only two weeks to decide. We have really built the church from 2003 till 2018. They are our children. We're so connected. We're so happy. The church is so healthy. So my son walks up to me. He goes, Dad, did you decide? I said, Dad, we're still praying. And he looked at my eyes. He goes, don't, don't you see the need? 
I could only look at him and cry. And each time I share this, I cry. I said, Dad, we just decided. We're staying. We stayed there with all the challenges, getting them to school. And you know, schools are different there. They have to study the Quran. For me, it's, it's, a, it's so challenging. Trying to help the church, a different culture, many challenges. And then I said to the church, I said two things might stop us staying here, because we want to stay. My residency, my official, because I need a residency to stay there, like papers, and my health. And you know what happened? After five months, I was deported. They put me in jail. They arrested me at the airport. They put me 24 hours in jail with different ISIS people in there after interrogating us five hours, me and my wife. And they said, you know what? You can't go in again. Five months. My family is there. They still have school. The church needs us. And you know what? We had no choice. I came back. And the same time, I got very sick, seriously sick. And I was like, I have to go back to my country. It was tough. I came back, and Jesse decided to stay five months alone with the kids in Egypt while I'm blacklisted in Egypt. That's a dangerous thing. So I can relate to Jeremiah. I can say, you know what? I don't want to preach anymore. I don't want to share my faith. I don't want to tell. You know, no one is listening. It's so hard. I can give you so many excuses of my life and my background and my country and the wars and all what you just heard. But there is something in me. There is fire that I cannot stop. You know, one question. One question. I think each one of you have been asked that question one day. And they asked me that question before they baptized me. If one day everybody leaves, what do you do? Have you been asked that question? What was your answer? And that's what I keep remembering. This answer. I said, I'll stay. You know, when we were asked to lead the church in 2003, me and my wife, we were not prepared, not trained, nobody to disciple us. Everything is negative. Everybody is negative. And we started leading the church of 67 disciples. And you, you know what? We were so fruitful. After two months, we disfellowshiped 30, 30 disciples. 50% of the church. And everybody look at us like, are you sure you, you, you're going to help us? Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> we're going to shrink the church. That's actually what we did in Egypt. We went there with 120 disciples. We left Egypt with 80 disciples. Like, what's going on? You know what? We need a high standard of being a disciple. The encouraging news in Egypt, we left Egypt and we were able to restore three couples that used to lead the church for many years. And you know who's leading the church now? They are leading the church. And it's, it's, it's just so challenging to be able to say, you know what? It's so hard. But it keeps me going. And I believe one thing should keep us going is men and women of God should have deep conviction. 
we should have deep conviction. What is this deep conviction? What is conviction? You know, for me, the conviction is that fire in Jeremiah. Fire. This fire in Jeremiah is conviction. Is deep conviction. This answer that one day you answered, you said, I will do it. I will stay. I will start alone. This is deep conviction. Are we there, brothers and sisters? When it's hard. When it's tough. When nobody is listening to us. You know, I went to the dictionary. I was like, what's conviction in the dictionary? You know what it says? Unshakable belief in something without need for proof or evidence. Unshakable belief in something. I don't need proof. I don't need evidence. You know what, guys? We have proof and we have evidence and we have the Bible and we have everything. Do we have unshakable beliefs? Do we have deep conviction? And I keep asking myself. You know, it's, it's so hard. You, you read the scripture. Look at the scripture. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Have you noticed that, brothers and sisters? When the message was given to us, it wasn't just given by words. Because we hear words left and right. We hear news left and right. The Bible says it was given to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Imagine... Jesus, imagine the apostles, imagine this first century church have no deep conviction. Imagine. Would it change anything? Paul, one person, changed Europe. Why? We will see why. Because he had deep conviction. And you know what, brothers and sisters? Paul, Holy Spirit, the spirit that he had, it's the same spirit that each one of you have. It's not five stars and ours is one star. It's the same. It's the same. Most of them are unschooled. Each one of us maybe have masters and PhD and, and the social media. It took Paul so many days and months to walk and to take boats to go to Europe. And I fly from the Middle East to LA in 10 hours. Imagine how many days was wasted from Paul and he changed the world. And here we are. We give all these reasons. It's hard. It's not hard. It's so comfortable. And that's, that's a serious sin. You know, imagine a salesman coming to you and want to sell his product to you. And actually, he's not convinced with his product. Can you tell? You can tell. Amazing. Even if he's professional like the Middle Easterns. You will tell. You know, the first thing I ask the salesman, do you use that product? There you go, baby. That's yes. Do you have it? He can lie. But we have a sense that tests this. If I come to you sharing my faith with you, yeah. and I don't have deep conviction, do you feel it? Yeah. Yeah. People feel this, brothers and sisters out there. This fire, this power, this deep conviction... It can change anybody. Yeah. 
So when you go out there sharing your faith and you don't feel people are changing, your closest friends and family, the people around you, I don't think they are the problem. We are. We can't convince them. Because we hardly can convince ourselves. Like if I ask you today, how much do you really believe that you have the Holy Spirit in you? That you have the Spirit of the Creator in you? Do you believe that? It should show. You know, there's a verse that I like in Acts 28, 31. And when, you know, when Paul challenged us, he goes, I'm reminding you that the message was given to you by power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. He was not just preaching on us. He lived it. Deep conviction, brothers and sisters, should produce boldness in us. Look what the verse says. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. How can we tell? When somebody is bold about what he believes, you can notice that. He, he will take your attention. Do people take our attention? Do people see deep conviction in us? Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to wake up from our coma. It's time for us to wake up from our lukewarmness. It's time for us to wake up from just living the comfort zone. Never in the Bible the comfort zone was helpful for our faith. What growth the faith of the disciples in the first century church was challenges. And I always advise brothers and sisters, I said, you know, we have enough challenges back there in the Middle East to grow our faith. My advice to you, pray for challenges. Because challenges can grow your faith. Boldness. When I, when I hear the word boldness, many things come to my mind. We have a brother in a Yemen church, which is a local church. And for him to be a disciple there, he can be killed anytime. He's a young brother. He's like 23 years old. Amazing, well-trained. He cannot have meetings, so he just go to a coffee shop, have a coffee, pay for, the, pay for the, the, the guy he's studying the Bible with him, and study the Bible in a way that nobody, nobody noticed that he's studying the Bible. And he's making disciples. One day, they have a church there that used to be an old church because no more Christians are there. And that church is a museum. So everybody go and visit it just like, you know, that's a museum, a Christian something. And one day, you know, when the civil war broke in Yemen, ISIS came and burned that church. It's already a closed church, but they burn it, you know. So now when it's burned, it's more attractive to, you know, people want to go and see a burned church. So you know what this brother did? He went to that church and he started printing Matthew 5. Love your enemies. So people, when they come there, it's like, this is the teaching of Christ. You burn us, we love you. But for him to do this, you know, he sent me that video. I, I couldn't find it, but he sent it to me. He goes, for him to do this, he's, this is boldness. Yeah. This is boldness. You know, when I look, at, when I look around, it's, it's a shame for me when I see a terrorist willing to blow himself 
because of his deep conviction. It's a shame for me. It's a shame for me when somebody is carrying the wrong message. When someone is willing to kill people and kill himself because he was promised that he have heaven. And me and you who have the truth, who believe in the truth, who we know what we're teaching and preaching is the truth. And we're afraid. And we don't have time. And you know, life is so busy. And we have the, the dream. I don't know what kind of dream we have. We need boldness, brothers and sisters. If I'm not bold, then there's something wrong with my conviction. There's something wrong. Deep conviction should produce this courage. And I'm going to read, actually, before I read, before I read 4.13, I'm going to just read from 8. So Peter, the Bible said, verse 8, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, because they were persecuting them, the Pharisees, they were trying to stop Peter and John to share their faith and to go and, and, and to have this, you know, deep conviction. And they were actually trying to, to stop them. Warning them and even warning them to kill them. And look what Peter said. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to, to men by which we must be saved. Is this deep conviction? Amen. When you're there threatened to be killed, and you say what Peter said, is this fire? Is this deep conviction? Is this power? You know what the reaction was? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Deep conviction should produce this courage in us. Are we courageous enough? You know the brother I shared with you about in, in, uh, in our church in North Syria. He had three children. He and his wife, disciples. They stayed there until the last day to take care of the church. And then, you know what? They risked their life, even though we asked them to leave before. But they said, we want to stay until the last minute. But they had to leave because they will be killed, because they were known as church leaders. But you know the courage? For him, he's living in a nation that what he's doing every day is a threat. Anyone could walk in the street and kill him. Because for him, it's not a sin to kill him. He goes to another city. He calls me. He goes, we just found a small little house to rent. We just need help. And then I call him after a week. He said, we started Bible talks. Really? And he is in a more dangerous city now. And he keeps sending these videos and these pictures with just people that he's trying to study the Bible with them. Brothers and sisters, this is courage. Amen. When you see people from different faiths, all kind of different faiths, they are willing to stand in malls, on the streets, to pray, and they don't care, and they have the courage. 
to stay out there. When you see people go on social media showing their faces and they don't care how serious and dangerous it is for them. And we, who have the Holy Spirit and the truth, we're shy. We're shy. You know, for my wife to take the decision, or for us to take the decision for her to stay back there in, in Egypt with my kids alone for five months, I lift up her courage. It wasn't a joke. It was hard. But it produces fruit. It produces people. When people saw this courage, even those who were far away, they were restored back. I want to show you this video. Brothers and sisters, you heard what he said. As I protect my sheep, God will protect me. This is deep conviction. This is challenges. You know, when you read Psalm 23, try to read it and feel it. Try to read it and face it. Back there in the Middle East, this is what we face every day from different challenges. And you know what? My last point, deep conviction. Sorry. Produces identity. See what they said in the last? They said, unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How did they take this note? How did they notice that they were with Jesus? They were carrying a sign, were disciples, were the church of this? No. The Bible said from their courage, from their boldness. The Bible said from their deep conviction, although they were unschooled, ordinary people, but their spirit, their power, like, I know who they are. They are with Jesus. Do people look at you and they know who you are with? Do they know you're a disciple? When you speak, when you preach, when you share your faith, when you are faced with challenges in your family, in any situation, are you different? Are we different? Do people notice? The Bible said from our love for each other. That's great in the church. When they come in, they will see this. But what about outside? What about outside? Well, who is? Who are you? Do you know who you are? What is your identity? Does your identity come in the Middle East? Our identity come. They write it actually on our ID. Christian, Muslim. So I'm a Christian. Really? From my family. From my ancestors. You know, I go back to Jesus. Really? Who are you? Do people, when they look at you, they know who you are? What is your identity? Because if people know that, you can change their lives. You know, sometimes we hide our identity. Because we want to live in situations where nobody knows we're disciples. We can do whatever we want. That's right. We need to be challenged. Yeah. Deep conviction should produce identity. People need to look at us and know who he is from the minute you talk, from the minute you react. How do you react when there is tough situations in your life? Like anybody else? Or you come in and give hope and give faith. And let's say, let's pray, guys. It's tough, but let's pray. Let's trust God. 
I'm going to ask my lovely wife to come up Amen. and to close with communion from her personal sharing. Definitely, like Mufid shared that in 2016, 17, finally, you know, after the war and the challenges and what happened in the church, finally, now I'm happy. Like, the church is doing great. I have my own show. I have my family. We have a great teen ministry. So everything was great. And I felt, thank you, Lord. Now I can sit and enjoy all the challenges that I've been through. Well, God had another plan for me. And we start like overseeing the church in Egypt and the church in Egypt wasn't doing well. And I was really like, like I don't want to listen to the shout of my brother and sisters there because I said, no, no, we can go every month. We can visit them. We don't need to go there. Yeah, we can bring them in. And I start like giving all the excuses that we can do the job without me going there. <laughs> and I was reading my Bible, and I really, really opposed God for maybe a few months that, no, no, this is not God's will for me to go there. And I was reading in, in Mark, and then I don't know why in Mark, when Jesus you know, asked the disciples to go and bring a donkey, <laughs> so he said, like, if they ask you, why it's okay why you are doing this say the lord needs it and i was stopping like the lord needs it and then i wanted to move on then the lord needs it and it stopped me that it's the first time i hear jesus say i need something and then look i like, I felt like Jesus is telling me, Jesse, I need you. What you're going to do? And you, do you remember when you promised me when, when you got baptized that I will live in you? And that you're going to give me your body so I can go wherever I need to go? And now you're lying. You're stopping me from doing what I want to do in Egypt. But I said, Lord, but I can't, like, maybe I'm not equipped enough. Maybe, like, too many people, they, we sent there, and they are great leaders, and they didn't do anything there. Like, I, I will not do anything. And then he said, are you willing to be the donkey? Because all what I need is someone to ride me there. And said, Lord, <laughs> I will be the donkey. If you want me to go, I'm going there. And then again, I was reading in my Bible, and still, like, I took the decision, but it was so challenging. And then when I read this in Mark, when Joseph, he came to Jesus. You know, Joseph, he followed Jesus secretly. But I was, like, shocked that how come when Jesus died, when Jesus was alive, and, like, he's doing miracles, and everybody was following him, this guy was following him secretly. But when he died, 
he went and he asked for the body of Jesus. And it doesn't make sense for me. Like, what's going on here, you know? And then again, you know, going there, the church wasn't doing well. No teens ministry, like all the Muslim, like poor country. And it was so challenging for me to go there. And if I ask, I ask advice from different people, you shouldn't go there. You need to search for a church where they have a good teen ministry. You have two teens and you should like work for a church where, you know, the church is doing well so you can keep you on fire, right? But Jesus asked me, you know, my body now. And I was really like meditating on Joseph. He took the body, imagine three days, the body was the smell, the ugliness, you know? And he took it and he cleaned Jesus' wounds, he said the Bible. And then he covered him. And he went to the really, really, like, the, the thing, like, ah, no one wants to do it. And Jesus asked me, like, my body now is dying. The church in Egypt is ugly. The church in Egypt is dying. But what are you willing to do for me? Even when you're not going to get anything. You know, and this is the unconditional love. That Jesus loves us, you know. It's very easy to follow Jesus when he's giving us everything. All what we need. But when Jesus died, and we're not going to get anything from him, what we're going to do? And you know what? Jesus was raised. And he stayed only three days. And whatever is happening to our church now, what we're going to do? We're going to watch and criticize and stay in our comfort zone or be the courageous woman of God where even if I'm not getting anything, I will serve Jesus. And I will love him because he's not going to stay there. He's going to raise up. And again, going there like Mufit shared, like starting the church, and I said, I'm doing now God's will, everything is gonna be good. Mufid got sick, and I still remember one night, I dreamt that he is dying, and I'm screaming, Jesus, save him, Jesus, save him, and I woke up, and I, I found Mufid putting his hand on his heart, and he said, Jesse, I'm not feeling well, I need to go to the doctor. And I felt like, no, God, please don't take him, you know, like it was so real for me. We took him to the doctor, and he was really sick for one month. And we had to take the decision, if he moved back, maybe he will not gonna be able to come back to Egypt. But if he stay, maybe he will die. And we couldn't take this decision. We really wanted God to take it. And we prayed and we prayed and God answered in his own way. You know, he moved him back <laughs> to Lebanon, you know. And then after like he went there, and we took the decision as a family for me to stay there because the churches really needed help. And being there and my husband in the hospital for two weeks, having heart attack. And you know the Bible will say, put your marriage first. Your husband should come first after God, right? Yes. And this is true. But in some situation, I now, no one can help. But my husband, he has a church, he has a family, and he is with him. So I said, 
Just read this quote with you before I pray. Enthusiasm can, ha can help you find new doors, but it takes passion to open them. If you have a strong purpose and a deep conviction, you don't have to be pushed. Your passion will drive you there. Nobody should tell you to make disciples. You're a disciple. If you're not making disciples, then search for the fire. Let us pray, God is just amazing to come before you today with my brothers and sisters, just all the way overseas, out here in the church. So grateful for their hearts, for their love, for their support, just for just having us feeling like we're in a family. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for this big, incredible family. I pray, God, that you, you lead us with your spirit. You fill us with your power. You bring back the fire that started one day, the first love. You bring back the deep conviction. And people can see boldness and courage. And they know the minute they hear us, the minute we're in their presence, they know we are your disciples. Help us to go and share. The world is changing. In so many situations, we look around and Satan is winning. So many sins out there. So many darkness. And knowing God that we are the light. We are the sun. We are the only hope for this world. It's a big responsibility. God help us. Guide us. Fill us again. Remind us that your spirit is in us. And that you will talk. You will guide. You will do the miracles. You are the power. You will give us the words. You will prepare the heart and change the mind. We just need to be tools in your heart, in your hand, ready to be used anywhere, anytime, in any situation. I pray, God, that you send us challenges to test our That you send us hardships so we can go back to you, trusting you, not trusting all the worldly things we have. Thank you, God, for this work. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, 
please visit southbaychurch.us.